The Global North's insatiable appetite for the latest fashion, coupled with gargantuan marketing budgets to continue to promote that kind of consumption, has contributed to massive amounts of clothing waste and pollution. The ripple effect has greatly impacted countries in the Global South. I'm Rebecca Burgess, the founder of a California-based nonprofit called Fibershed. Learn more on the Weaving Voices podcast, a Whetstone Radio Collective podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the new podcast, The One Recipe, from the team behind The Splendid Table. This pod is all about that one recipe that you lean on. The one you share with friends, the one you make when you need a little love, and the one you know will work every single time. Every week, I talk with chefs and gifted cooks from all over the world about their one and the story behind it. We're here to help you build your kitchen library one dish at a time. Follow the one recipe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Nectar Corridor, a podcast where we explore the incredible world of mezcal, the most emblematic and diverse spirit of Mexico. I'm your host, Nikki Nakazawa. Today, we're going on a spiritual journey through the patron saints of the Cultura del Mezcal. I visited El Altar, a place imbued with tremendous love and respect for mezcal, and spoke to Asís and Mar Cortés, the owners of this truly magical space. Mar gave me a very warm welcome and begins this episode by introducing us to Espíritus Mágicos. This podcast was originally recorded in Spanish. Our conversation with Mar is interpreted by Paula Cook. And Assis is interpreted by himself in English. Queremos darle la bienvenida a este espacio que se llama Espíritus Mágicos. En Espíritus Mágicos hemos Welcome to Espíritus Mágicos. This is a space where we gather with makers, artists, and friends. Although it is small, we collect and display works of art on these walls. Each object is handcrafted with so much love and affection, and we want to make this space open and welcoming to all. In Espíritus Mágicos, everything can be touched, seen, and felt. And if you want to know more about a specific object, it would be my great pleasure to share their stories. But in order to do that, we need to sit down with a good mezcal. And to tell the stories of mezcal and the spirits of Mexico, we have this other space we call the altar. Here, we have rituals, stories, histories, and a little bit of magic, which all comes together for us to drink mezcal. Asís Cortés comes from more than four generations of mezcaleros in Santiago, Matatlán, a town in the eastern part of the central valleys of Oaxaca State. He remembers growing up in a household that only spoke Zapotec, with Spanish being spoken by only the younger generations. Para nosotros es traernos un pedacito. It's like bringing a small piece of home with us. We are from Matatlán, and in all our homes, there is always a space dedicated to the ritual of thanking, the ritual of receiving family, friends, and ancestors. And this space back home is called Altar, which has a Catholic influence, but it also has a lot of connection with our roots and our culture. We continue to preserve much of our Zapote culture, from the language to the traditions to the rituals. An altar is more than just a physical space for us. It is a space where we can travel between dimensions, and to bridge these various dimensions, we always use mezcal. 
As a child, I remember seeing my family at the altar with a glass of mezcal in their hands, and every time it was sacred and a unique moment. And even I didn't really understand it, I could feel the energy, and little by little, I started feeling the connection. It was a way to know and understand that our mezcal wasn't just another alcohol beverage. It was something that was passed down from generation to generation, and it carried a deeper meaning. It is this sacred drink that really connects with us and with others, and with our Mother Earth, with the gods, the spirits, the ancestors, with everybody who was in that space in the altar. So at the altar, we recognize that we're pacing through this earth and that every moment must be celebrated. So we invite you to this space to see it and to share with us the most beautiful moments. But you understand that when we all come together, we can create a beautiful connection with Mezcal and say Dishbe. As Aziz explained it, making Mezcal means bringing together your knowledge, your traditions, and what you've inherited from your ancestors. It also means showing respect for the land, for the plants, and for the people who make it. Mezcal represents all the beauty of the Magay, and to drink it means sharing something from your heart. To toast, we say Dishbe, a Zapotec word that goes beyond just a simple toast. Dishbe, como muchas palabras en zapoteco, no tienen una traducción literal. Dishbe, like many Zapotec words, does not have a literal translation. I was fortunate to grow up with a very Zapotec family. My great-grandparents did not speak Spanish. My grandparents spoke very little Spanish. And my parents speak Zapotec much more often than Spanish. And Dishbe is more than just a word. It is an expression of deep gratitude and acknowledgement. It's the feeling of walking in a field after having planted corn, beans, and maguey, and thanking Mother Earth for allowing me to work and take care of the food that will grow. And when it is time to harvest, the feeling of joy knowing that you will continue to harvest for many years to come, to thank Mother Earth, we say, Dijve. And we don't toss with a tole or coffee. We always do it with mezcal. It is difficult to summarize the word, but as an expression of respect and love. We appreciate everything we have. We appreciate our past, our present, and our future. We thank the sun and the rain for what we grow, and we are grateful that we will pass down our knowledge and tradition to future generations. I think it's easy to forget about all the precious moments we experience daily. When we walk in the fields, we don't always think about what we are stepping on, or what we are eating or drinking, but it's the feeling of recognizing that. Mar and Assis have created a space that acknowledges these beautiful moments and that connects visitors to each other and to their surroundings on deeper levels. They attribute much of their appreciation of mezcal to their families. Nos toca preguntar, ¿no? It's hard to say when my family began making mezcal, because we don't have historical documents that go back very far, but my father and grandfather continues the tradition. There are some rooms where mezcal was produced. One belonged to my father's family and the other to my mother's family. 
I remember playing with my cousins when I was a child. We would run around the fields and remember seeing the fermentation tanks and the water and the distillations. My father's family had a lot of people working with mezcal. My great-great-great-grandfather, Don Miguel Cortez, produced mezcal about 180 years ago, and his son, Don Gregorio Cortez, also produced it in what is now as the center of Santiago Matatlán. My grandfather and his brother also had a palenque, which is where my father grew up. When my father was young, he asked to help work on the palenque, and my grandfather said to him, No, if you want to go to school, I will help you. I will support you. Because back then, continuing school meant finishing primary school and moving to the secondary school. My grandfather said to him, If you stop studying, there will be no opportunities for you other than this work. So my father finished primary school at the age of 12, and then he moved to the city to start secondary school. Within one week, he decided this was not for him, and then he came home. From that day on, he began working in mezcal production. Together with my grandfather, he was able to continue with his family tradition. Assis was born in a difficult time, not just for his family, but for mezcal. At first, there was a lot of demand for the drink, and production was on par. But a few years later, with the devaluation of the peso in 1994 and mounting economic pressures, things took a turn for the worse for mezcaleros in Matatlán. I grew up in the late 80s, and I remember hearing about how mezcal sales were declining, but production was still going strong. And that was because the producer was focused on his groups and his fields. If maguey is ready for harvest, then it goes into production. The mezcalero was not involved in the commercial side back then. So as time went on, more mezcal was being produced, but no one was buying it. This led to a decline in price. At a certain point, many mezcalero families closed their palenques and emigrated because they no longer had their neighborhood. There would be no way to sell off the inventory at a fair price. So I grew up in this constant struggle between continued production for a low and unfair pay and just closing their palenque altogether. In 2002, my father finally decided to stop production. Por el otro lado, mi mamá también tiene otra historia que, pues, tal vez para ella es un poco más difícil. My mother also ¿no? had a difficult childhood. My grandfather, may he rest in peace, passed away when my mother was 13 years old. She, along with her mother and sister and younger brothers, now had to be in charge of their palenque. It was really challenging to maintain production, but they fought hard. And at that point in time, everyone in town was struggling because at the point Mezcal was already losing its value. And this brings me to our continued fight for the recognition of Mezcal to this day. Because Mezcal is and has always been a complex and worthy drink to make. And we want to demonstrate its value. Asís tells me that now more than ever, there are growing challenges for the future of Mezcal. As we heard from Felix in episode 6, the adulteration of mezcal created a vicious cycle that gave the drink a very bad reputation. There's been a large effort to regain mezcal's credibility, but there's also the added pressure to continue passing down the generation's long tradition and cultura del mezcal. I started working to clean up mezcal's reputation about 13 years ago. I remember that back then, out of 10 places I would visit, 9 of them would tell me that they had no interest in even tasting mezcal. That's how bad it was. 
So it took a lot of work and patience at first because you had to find the right way to open up the conversation, to share and teach and have an exchange. And slowly we started to meet others that were doing the same work and that was really beautiful. I say this was around 2009 or 2010 where we started seeing more people with the same desire and energy but with different perspectives which really helped the cause. My father says that he never lost the hope but I remember that when I was around 15 years old he came to me one day and told me Aziz, make sure you go to school and study. Don't be a mezcalero. And that was very hard for me, coming from someone who has been doing this all his life. And the main reason was because nobody was value his job and nobody was really taking care of what they was doing. And he told me, this is a hard work. Work under the sun, on the fields, in the palenque is not easy. But I really think that gave me energy to push even harder. The mezcal boom came soon after this undertaking to revitalize the drink. It reached spaces that were already knowledgeable about wine, whiskey, beer, gastronomy, etc., and brought with it depth and diversity. As Aziz explained, this was mezcal emerging from a period of darkness. I'd like to say that the story ends here at a high point for mezcal, but as you listeners well know by now, mezcal faces new challenges. Before we could even realize, there were huge companies entering the market. They saw mezcal as nothing more than a new business opportunity and begin to commercialize the drink based on their business model that already existed for another beverage. This path of commercialization was a discredit to all of the cultural value and tradition that mezcal represented. We already had so much that we needed to rescue and revive, and this emergence from big business made the effort that much harder for all of us. But that's why Mar and I have a space like this. Everything we do is focus on giving more value to the mezcal culture, from the land to the ecosystem, to the people that make this beautiful drink. The day I see mezcal as nothing more than a product or an alcohol drink will be the day that I have lost my roots, my culture, and my respect for my family and my land. And I hope that never happens, but it is up to us to make sure it doesn't happen. Like Assis, Mar has her own family history that connects her to la cultura del mezcal and its rituals. My family and my ancestors are all from Matitlan. I was born in Mexico City, and my story is very peculiar. My mother left Matitlan because her children were dying. She said that there had been a witch who had killed children at the time. And it's interesting because the day I met Asisi's grandmother, she confirmed this. She asked me why my parents left Matitlan, and I said that all my older siblings had died at a very young age. She said to me, Yes. There was a witch at that time. It happened to me too. So my parents left. They were peasants. My mother doesn't know how to read or write, and my father had a third grade education. They moved to Mexico City in hopes that they would make a better life for themselves, and it worked. I'm the youngest of six siblings. Before us, seven siblings had died in Oaxaca, 
and my story with Mezcal begins with my parents. Just as we heard Assis talk about Mezcal rituals with his family, I had a similar situation. My parents were very Catholic, and at the altar, they always had a Mezcal offering. My father would say some words in Zapotec, he would make the sign of the cross on me, he would lower his hands, and he would bless us. And even if it was 8 o'clock in the morning, my dad would have a small glass of mezcal with his breakfast. For him, it was a blessing, and I didn't really understand it when I was young. But slowly, I became aware of it. Every celebration, every new year, every Christmas, there would be a mezcal ritual. I grew up thinking that mezcal was only made in Matitlan. My parents weren't mezcaleros, but my father was a woodcutter. He would bring wood to the palenques, and he would often help them out. I remember that first time I got drunk with my younger brother. We got into the mezcal closet, and it tasted so good. And then my mom found us and took care of us that night. She wasn't upset, but she told us we didn't have to get drunk with mezcal, and that we need to respect the drink. Mar was able to stay connected to her culture and her ancestors because she often traveled between Mexico City and Matatlan. My dad would travel to and from Matatlan, bringing back mezcal, chorizo, asesina, which is similar to prosciutto. One of his cousins is a butcher, so he would bring these meats to Mexico City to sell. And every time he would head out, all six of us would beg to go with him. Our entire family is in Matitlan, and we just loved visiting. By the age of 13, I started traveling by myself to Matitlan. I would take a bus for who knows how many hours to Oaxaca, and from Oaxaca to Matitlan. It was during one of those trips to visit my sister that I met Onassis Cortez. It was around nine years ago, and we instantly clicked. It was like we had the same vibrations, the same frequencies. We got together, we got married, and we have been inseparable ever since. Mara and Assis just look radiant together. They have cultivated a space for blessings, for offerings, and for giving thanks. I was curious about what other uses they have for mezcal. When you think about traditional rituals, you imagine this big scene where you get together and make a big gesture. But you don't often think about the day-to-day, and there are countless opportunities to manifest all the beliefs and traditions we have on a daily basis. The story of Mars' life is a reflection of that. Although she moved away from the land of her ancestors in Matatlan, she did not lose those roots. Her family continued to believe and to preserve those traditions. Mezcal is a part of our lives from beginning to the end, from birth when a small amount is placed on the baby's gums to welcome them, to the day where we died when our remembrance is celebrated by drinking mezcal and sharing stories. Even during sickness, we will blow mezcal for well wishes and we combine it with herbs to cleanse the body of evil spirits. Last year during the pandemic, we visited my parents' house and as soon as we opened the door, we got this really strong and delicious smell. And my mom came over to us and started spraying us with something saying she was sanitizing us from the virus and the outside. And I could smell something. And it was like tepestate aromas. And I asked my mom, what, what is this? And then she say, oh, this is uh, tepestate puntas. 
And I was surprised that I was of the pestate puntas because it was so strong and delicious. And I was just like, okay, spray more on us, please. Mezcal really is everything for us. And this space, as small as it is, is a little piece of my mom, my grandmother, Assisi's family, our loved ones. And mezcal is the way we toast and give thanks to everything and everyone. We don't use wine or cider. It's always mezcal. It's like our little saint or our amulet. It is everything. And I think at the end of the day, it's the most beautiful legacy we can leave to the next generation. What we have received from our ancestors is the most beautiful and unique. And if in our lifetime we see it begin lost once again, then we will do everything we can do to rescue it and to keep that value and to be sure that every day everybody around us is going to recognize and is going to understand the significance of mezcal. There's a phrase that my father-in-law, Don Valentin Cortez, uses that says, Mezcal is like a human being. Each mezcal has a bit of the character of the maestro mezcalero, and you must give him the respect he deserves. At El Altar, the stories and emotions of lives dedicated to mezcal emerge. The ritual is sharing with community. We always say that the altar is not a secret place. It is a private place where you, yourself, make a connection with mezcal. Maybe it's a connection with the word of the Ciceron, the person who's guiding you. Or maybe it's a connection with yourself. We had a visitor once who came to us crying and said, I am the last generation of shoemakers. I am so fascinated with my history, but I can no longer leave a legacy. I can no longer rescue it. In just telling that story, he was connecting with a piece of himself. It was a very touching experience to see the admiration, the affection, the sensitivity, and the understanding. We said to him, it's never too late. You will always have the story with you. We also once had a silversmith come to Espíritus Mágicos, who told us that none of the younger generations want to learn the trade. He said, I've even offered to pay the kids to go and learn, but they don't want to. And he cried because he felt helpless and alone. He wanted to teach them how to work with their hands. And for a moment, in this space, he was able to recount his story and find something that he thought he had lost. For Mar and Assis, the mezcales of Matatlan are not easy to define. When they taste a mezcal, they think as much about the production and the work involved as they do about the aromas and flavors. You have to take the time to understand the complexity and identity of each mezcal. It's a continuous learning process that's very difficult to explain in words, but it's possible to understand with the mind and soul. When you serve mezcal, it's like serving a spirit, a soul without a body. And when you take a sip, it becomes a part of your body. From this perspective, you're able to value what you consume. We like to share a mezcal moment with the people in this space, to make it an intimate gathering place where we all speak and listen. We would like to finish this conversation with a request that the next time you have a mezcal in your hands, 
you will stop thinking and you will open your hearts to start feeling. Mezcal is more than just the aromas or the flavors. It is about feeling. And when you open your heart, you let your body take over, as Mar will say. Dishbe. Dishbe. <laughs> Many, many thanks to Mar and Asis for sharing their space, their rituals, and their stories with me. And to our voice actor, Paula. The Nectar Corridor is part of the Whetstone Radio Collective. Thank you to the Nectar Corridor team, producer Jackie Nowak, Associate Producer Rosina Castillo, Editors Andres Jimenez and Max Kotelchuk, and Researcher Olivia Mayeda. English translations are by Jackie Nowak, with editorial help from Carlin Crosby and Emily Vizzo. Cover art by Alex Bowman. Thanks to Las Nortenitas de Oro for the use of our theme song, Jinetes en el Cielo. I'd also like to thank Whetstone founder Stephen Satterfield, Whetstone Radio Collective Head of Podcast Celine Glazier, Sound Engineer Max Kotelchuk, Associate Producer Quentin LeBeau, Production Assistant and Melissa Utinko, and Sound Intern Simon Lavender. You can learn more about this podcast at whetstoneradio.com, Instagram and Twitter at Whetstone Radio, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Whetstone Radio Collective, for more video podcast content. You can learn more about all things happening at Whetstone Media at whetstonemedia.com. The Nectar Corridor is originally produced and recorded in Spanish. If you'd like to listen to the original interview, you can search for El Corredor del Nectar wherever you get your podcasts.